Hello, and welcome to Macro Minutes. During each episode, we'll be joined by RBC Capital Markets experts to provide high conviction insights on the latest developments in financial markets and the global economy. Please listen to the end of this recording for important disclosures. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Macro Minutes called Bonds Unhinged. I'm Jason Daw, your host for today's call, which we're recording at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on September the 26th. The main story in financial markets has been the bond market and the relentless surge in yields since June. And today, we're going to touch on why yields have been rising and curve steepening. Can the trend continue? and what we need to see for there to be a turnaround. We'll also explore how bond market dynamics are impacting the FX and equity markets. So for this lively discussion, I'm joined today by Blake Gwynn, Peter Shafrick, Lori Calvacina, and Adam Cole. To start off today's discussion, I'm gonna talk about the Bank of Canada outlook and what's happening in Canada's bond market. So for the Bank of Canada, uh, the market has overreacted to the last uh, CPR, CPI report in our opinion and it's overpricing the chance of an October rate hike. Pricing uh, in a full rate hike um, to January does seem like a stretch. Our base case view is the Bank of Canada is on hold until they start slowly cutting rates in Q3 of next year. At this point in the cycle, the Bank of Canada will give more weight to weaker growth than one to two higher than expected inflation prints in our opinion. More specifically, they will have higher confidence that below trend growth that's emerging and easing the labor market pressures will ultimately bring inflation down. They're going to prudently keep optionality uh, to hike again, but they shouldn't act on that. On bond yields, the move higher in Canadian yields seems purely a function of the move in the U.S. rates market, which Blake is going to expand on in his comments, and not based on Canada-specific reasons. There has been a material reduction in 2024 rate cut pricing that's mirrored the moves in the U.S. market, but the amount of rate cuts uh, baked into 2024 does seem too low based on tail risk possibilities and our base case economic assumptions. Uh, specifically, Canada's data surprises, they have been significantly weaker than in the U.S., and Canada doesn't have the same supply concerns as the U.S. market. So the idea that the U.S. has dragged Canada yields higher uh, is consistent with the small outperformance of GOCs uh, versus Treasuries in the belly to long end, uh, since the upward move in rates started back in May, early June. Over the medium term, uh, it's likely that macro forces are going to win out and push yields lower. But for now, positioning is an issue. There's no ca- counterbalance uh, to hedge funds and the machines pushing the short trade as real money's already bought bonds and doesn't seem uh, to be interested or able to add more risk at the moment. So this buyer strike from certain segments of the market coupled with fast money and momentum players uh, bullying the market at the moment, uh, does argue for a cautious approach in adding longs here. Next up is Blake uh, to give his insights on what's driving uh, bond yields in the U.S. and if that trend can continue. Yeah, thanks, Jason. So um, let's just really briefly start with the FOMC last week. Um, Fed obviously surprised the hawker side at their meeting on Wednesday. The economic front, the data uh, that they were inputting into their models was a lot more positive. Uh, They left the possibility for one more hike in 2023 on the table. But most importantly, the 2024 median dot went from showing 100 basis points of cuts in 2024 to showing only 50. All in all, the main message of the change to the forecast um, and the rate path in 2024 was higher for longer, and markets have adjusted to reflect that fact. You know, all told since the beginning of September, we priced out about 40 basis points of 2024 cuts 
Although, interestingly, much of that actually occurred in the run-up to the meeting as markets were already kind of setting up for the shift in the dots in the weeks before the meeting. But since the meeting, near-term Fed pricing, and by that I mean both the terminal pricing and the amount of cuts that are priced for 2024, has actually been very stable, which kind of brings us to the sell-off we've had further out the curve over the last few sessions. Tens have sold off more than 40 basis points in September, but a lot of that move in the beginning part of the month was in tandem with the sell-off in the front end. As I said, markets prepping for the Fed meeting, kind of coalescing around the soft landing view and, and questioning those 2024 cuts. And as such, curves were largely chopping sideways for most of September. Day of the Fed meeting, you know, when, when we got the dots, two tens bear flattened, which is, I think, what you would expect on this higher for longer theme being priced in. But after that, curves have started to pretty strongly bear steepen, despite a little bit of retracement in that move we've had this morning. You know, as we said before, Fed expectations have largely been stable since the FOMC meeting. Front end has been pretty pegged, which means this move has all been all about weakness in the back end. So what's been driving that weakness in the back end and in turn the bear steepening over the last few sessions? We think it's really less a story about selling and more about a lack of buyers. To that point, I think there are several themes at play. First, term premium supply. You know, during the slate of client meetings uh, I was on last week, this question of who's going to buy all the U.S. Treasury supply coming uh, over the coming months and quarters, uh, quarters was a concern that came up at almost every one of those meetings. Second is the impact of higher for longer on carry and roll down. As I said before, I think the removal of cuts and this a higher terminal, uh, uh, you know, higher terminal pricing is not what's uh, been driving things the last few sessions. But this kind of market acceptance of higher for longer does mean carry and roll for holding trade likely going to be more punitive and for a longer period of time. And also that any capital gains you see on that, uh, going to see on those positions as we pivot towards lower yields is also likely further away. Also, on top of that, I think potential dip buyers that have a longer-term time horizon and can afford to get long yields have already been long. I think they got long 25, 50 basis points ago, and that while they may be frustrated they could have had a better entry if they'd waited for the most recent sell-off, there's really not a whole lot else for them to do here. Um, you could stop out, take a loss, and, and try to reset at better levels, but that's a very risky bet. So I think a lot of those potential dip buyers are largely on the sidelines. Lastly, I would just say technicals. You know, we have breached through a number of support levels and kind of hit some new highs across, uh, you know, across various parts of the curve. And I just think seeing those levels has, has given a lot of caution, uh, again, to those would-be dip buyers. As I said, though, I don't think any of these are really driving actual selling. These are just reasons people aren't buying. As far as what's actually driving the selling flows, um, I don't think there's really been anything on the fundamental side. Fed speakers since FOMC have been pretty blasé. Data calendar has been light, and uh, long-end supply really isn't kicking off for a few weeks now. So, you know, what we have heard is that there's been some convexity-related selling. You know, there's some potential flows around this switch on the cheapest to deliver security into the U.S. contract is rather technical, but we have heard that as a reason for some selling. But overall, I don't think that this selling flow had to be that large, given the lack of buyers, to, to get the kind of move we've seen over the last few days. For our part, we still believe the Fed has delivered the final hike of the cycle. We see them on hold through Q2 2024 before um, starting on a gradual cutting cycle. As such, I think the front end could still see some retracement uh, on that pricing out of 2024 cuts that happened into the FOMC meeting. But with the back end still kind of fighting this term premium story and solidly below a lot of these support levels, you know, I see this manifesting near term as a switch from bear steepening into bull steepening. And with that, I will pass it back to you. Uh, thanks, Blake. Uh, very insightful. So over to Lori now in the equity market to tell us how stocks and sectors have behaved in this yield surge and what to focus on going forward. 
All right. Thanks, Jason. Good morning, everybody. Um, so just to kind of put the recent moves in context and, and, and the move in yield in particular, if you go back and look at the entire history of sector performance in the equity market post the financial crisis, the playbook is essentially you want to buy financials and energy when bond yields are rising, and you want to sell the growth sectors, tech, communication services, and consumer discretionary. And that is more or less what's been playing out if you look at sector performance since early August. We've seen significant underperformance by tech and consumer discretionary, and energy's been on top by a wide margin, along with some, you know, kind of more modest uh, outperformance from the financial sector. Um, and if you looked at last week's FOMC meeting, you know, on Fed days, I always really like to watch the sectors and how they react. I think it gives me, you know, really the, probably the best insight into, into what equity markets are, are digesting. And what we really saw was the tech trade getting hit very hard after Powell started speaking. Um, so how do we put this into context? I think that this bond yield move is just the latest challenge to a growth trade which has been propping up the S&P 500 all year. And it's frankly a trade that's been looking tired, crowded, and in need of correction, even, you know, without the surge in bond yields. So what are some of the things we're seeing in our data? You know, first off, valuations for growth relative to value have been at peak. They have started to retreat, but they're still well above the long-term average for growth relative to value. So we still seem to be early days in that unwind. Um, secondly, positioning, if you look at the weekly CFTC data on asset manager positioning in NASDAQ futures, the number of contracts um, had recently broken above kind of the four or five-year highs um, and has started to roll over, and that also looks very early days. The other thing we're seeing on our data is we think the growth trade was really propped up at the beginning of the year by more powerful earnings revision trends than what we saw in the value-oriented sectors, and that's really starting to reverse. Growth still has a little bit of an advantage, but it's really starting to narrow. Um, we're also hearing a lot about tax loss selling and the profitable companies where you can book capital gains are also getting caught up in that. Uh, so there's just a lot happening in this place, and I think that you know the bond yield issue is just the latest reason to sell a part of the market that's in need of a tactical correction. Now, when we zoom out, uh, the other thing I've been telling people is that we need to keep the sentiment uh, backdrop for equities in mind as well. If we go back to early August, we basically saw that AAII net bullishness hit two standard deviations above its long-term average. So enthusiasm, which in part was driven by chasing the tech and growth trade, got too exuberant. And we've seen a really rapid uh, decline in that indicator. Uh, we're about 3% on the four-week average last week in favor of the bulls. Um, that's not yet in buy territory, but it's something we've got to keep a close eye on. And I think this is the best star in the sky um, if I look back over the past year to help you navigate what's been going on in the equity market. Individual investor sentiment was in, in the, you know, really in the depths of, of GFC-type lows to start the year and post-SVB. Again, it got peakish and overly exuberant in August, and now it's unwinding. So we need to see uh, when we get back down to that, you know, kind of point at which you want to buy the market again, but we're frankly just not there yet. I think that this, you know, sort of tactical pullback in the market has yet to play out. September is typically a bad month uh, for the equity market in recent history. We have a lot of little things starting to hit, like the government shutdown, uh, student lending repayments, um, and gas prices moving up. Um, and there's still a lot of uncertainty about 2024, and corporates, frankly, are not giving investors a lot of clues yet on how to navigate next year. Longer term, I do think there's a buying opportunity in here for both growth and the market. One of the things we've been talking about, especially after last week's Fed meeting, is that when GDP is running cool, below 2%, growth stocks typically outperform. So that should eventually help the trade settle down and help the market settle down, but we're just not there yet. And with that, I'll pass it over to you, Jason. Excellent stuff, Laurie. Switching gears to Europe, where Peter's going to enlighten us on his views about the bond market. Thank you, Jason. So since we last 
since we last met, um, both the ECB and the Bank of England have met. Um, the result in terms of outcome was very different, um, although probably the ultimate medium-term read across means that both are likely at their peak. I'll speak about those um, in turn, and then before I wrap up, um, I'll probably share some insights um, of why I think our European markets here have contributed to the bond market sell-off. So let's look into them in turn. So first of all, on the ECB, the ECB has surprised us, uh, I think, at the day, um, maybe not so much the market by raising rates again to 4% in the deposit rate. But the guidance and the steer that was given thereafter seems relatively unambiguous that they have now reached the peak. The market's pricing is reflecting that, and we're pricing around about five basis points um, for, of further interest rate increases um, before we are leveling off. Now, the front end um, of our markets has since um, been relatively calm, as one would expect, but obviously the, the back end um, of the market has sold off um, in tandem with what Blake was saying earlier, um, and as a result, the curve has deepened a bit. Um, I'll return to that subject in a moment, but I think suffice to say that as far as actual ECB policy is concerned, we probably won't get any further rate increases, and the things to watch out for is two, two things. First of all, whether or not the ECB in one of the subsequent meetings is going to tinker with the minimum reserves, um, and that particularly has put some pressure on banks um, and bank stocks earlier, um, um, uh, earlier this year. Um, and secondly, whether or not there is an active debate about um, further QT or an increase in QT um, being entertained as some of the more hawkish members are pushing for. Secondly, the Bank of England. The Bank of England has quite surprised the market by not going, um, and they now have um, probably reached their peak at five and a quarter. And the decision was taken in a very small margin, five to four of the nine voters, um, and therefore the market subsequently has left around about 20 basis points in the forwards for another rate increase. We don't think that this will ultimately be delivered because from here onwards, um, the hurdle to get another rate hike through is probably even tougher to meet than it was at the previous meeting, and therefore we think that they have probably reached their peak as well. Now, uh, the market reaction, however, has been very different. Um, the market was pricing in quite a lot, um, around about 50 basis points or just under 50 basis points in grand total before the meeting, and therefore sterling, the front end, has rallied um, quite substantially in the entire sterling market with it, and sterling and gilts have been the key outperformer in the global bond market sell-off. In fact, they have been the outlier, because even in outright terms, um, yields are now lower than they were before the meeting, whereas obviously in the U.S. and in the euro market, they are higher. <clears throat> the curve has steepened nevertheless, um, but again, we think from here onwards, there's still some 20 basis points left to squeeze out to the U.K. front end, and therefore, it is reasonable to assume, at least for the next couple of weeks, and that the UK will probably remain one of the better performing markets. So where does it leave us um, globally, and um, where does that leave the European contribution to the global sell-off that Blake was describing earlier so eloquently? One of the things that seems relatively clear when we speak to our clients is that there is a relatively broad, I wouldn't say large in terms of volume, but certainly broad consensus out there that bonds should be bought. The reason for that seems relatively simple. Central banks seem to have peaked out, as I was just elaborating. Um, inflation is on the way down, and the growth indicators over here in Europe look decisively bleak. In fact, we think that the next two quarters, both in the UK as well as in the euro area, could well be negative. 
So the logical consequence seemed to be for quite a lot of investors that you have to buy bonds. But then, of course, the market is not obliging. Um, and we think um, the, one of the contributors, particularly out of the European sphere, has been um, investors who have already been positioning on the long side of the market that had to unwind in an environment where the central banks have been pushing the, lower, uh, the higher for longer um, agenda, as Blake again was elaborating earlier. And that probably leaves me with my conclusion, because I think the next guidance points that we're getting from both the Bank of England and specifically the ECB is probably along the same lines as the Fed dots have been indicating, that we won't be getting any rate cuts um, for quite some time. And of course, in both markets, we've been pricing in quite a lot of rate cuts in the longer term forwards that can be squeezed out. So it's quite plausible that from the European sphere, we won't get any respite from the bond market sell-off in the near term. And with that, I'll hand it back to you, Jason. Thank you, Peter. Uh, last but not least is Adam Cole to discuss currency market dynamics under uh, this cloud of the bond yield spike that we've had recently and what to expect going forward. Okay, thanks, Jason. So um, I think the dynamic in FX markets in an environment of rising yields depends, as we've talked about before, very much on the interaction between the two major asset classes. Uh, so what happens to equity prices in an environment of high yield? And, and I think there are three main scenarios. If we were to see uh, yields continue to make um, new highs in this cycle. So the first is an environment which has characterized most of the post-GFC period, which is where yields rise and equity markets go up. That is what we have traditionally called um, a risk-on environment, equities rallying and bonds selling off. And it is um, an environment which is not particularly dollar-directional on a sustained basis. What we see in that kind of environment is typically the underperformance of the safe havens, the yen and the Swiss franc, and the outperformance of the pro-cyclical currencies like the commodity currencies. The second environment is more like um, the environment that held for most of 2022, which is where yields go up and take equities down, where yields function primarily as a discount rate in valuations, and both markets sell off together. In contrast, that kind of environment we find is almost wholly dollar directional. Whether markets are rising or falling, when you have co-movement of bonds and equities, dollar direction dominates. And when it yields higher equities down, the dollar goes up, as it did for most of last year. And then a final scenario is yields rise, um, but equities are not particularly directional. And that's the kind of environment, I think, where relatives start to matter, and it's yields uh, across markets that drive FX, and we become much more idiosyncratic. The one thing I think you probably could say in that environment is that the lowest beta market of all is Japan still, and if yields um, in the U.S. lead yields globally higher, they'll rise by less in Japan than they will anywhere else. So that that environment would be consistently yen negative, um, but otherwise it's it's a more idiosyncratic, more relative um, yield story rather than the big thematic asset market led um, environments that um, that we've seen for for much of the last 15 years. So so bottom line for us really is that if we do continue to see yield rising, where we'll look first of all for direction in FX is to asset markets. 
And if, as seems most likely, higher bond yields is equity negative again, that would leave us with a core view of the dollar going up, um, still some way outside the consensus amongst sell-side analysts that look for the dollar to generally depreciate. And with that, back to Jason. Okay, so thank you for joining this edition of Macro Minutes. The narrative in financial markets is fluid as always, and right now the trend is your friend for higher rates and steeper curves. But stay tuned to our publications or reach out to us directly for additional insights into what we think um, as far as can this trend continue or start to reverse. This content is based on information available at the time it was recorded and is for informational purposes only. It is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation, and no recommendations are implied. It is outside the scope of this communication to consider whether it is suitable for you and your financial objectives.